Psalm 65 is quoted in the New Testament, referred to at least, and you'll see that a little bit later. I want you to notice, before we pray, some of the references David makes in this chapter to the power and the wonder and the glory specifically of God's creation. Verse 5, by terrible things, terrible is an old English word meaning amazing or awesome, by terrible things in righteousness wilt thou answer us, O God of our salvation, who art the confidence of all the ends of the earth, and of them that are afar off upon the sea, which by his strength setteth fast the mountains, being girded with power, which still of the noise of the seas, the noise of their ways, the tumult of the people. Verse 9, Thou visitest the earth and waterest it. Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn when thou hast so provided for it. Verse 10, Thou waterest the ridges thereof abundantly. Thou settlest the furrows thereof. Thou makest it soft with showers. Thou blessest the springing thereof. Verse 12, they drop upon the pastures of the wilderness and the little hills. I love that phrase, the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered over with corn. They shout for joy. They also sing. This is a beautiful psalm. And as David, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, talking about how creation just makes him rejoice and sing. God's creation is powerful and glorious and beautiful. And in its seasons, it says, it provides rain and fruit, variety, bounty. All through the year, he says, there's the noise of the seas. People go to sleep by those noises. The power of the mountains, the rushing of the rivers, and then the softness, he says, of the same force. We see this, David says. And that's why verse 1 begins with praise and with surrender. Praise waiteth for the, the vows that would be formed and so forth. However, however, what about those who see all this creation? What about those who don't know the Lord? What about the people who live in faraway tribes or walled cities who also see the wonders of God but do so in unbelief? Well, that's verse 8. They also that dwell in the uttermost parts are afraid at thy tokens. In other words, the very same tokens of creation that make God's people rejoice make unbelievers to fear. The same seasons that lead believers into, into a, a point of gratitude lead unbelievers into a place of pride and uncertainty. And folks, since today, December the 21st, 2022, is the first day of winter. Winter solstice. The shortest and darkest day of the year. It would be very good and appropriate for us tonight to do as with David. And not as with those in the uttermost parts, the pagans of those who were lost. So let's do that tonight. Shall we? Father in heaven, please help us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for reminding us that, yes, the lost in this world, they do fear at your tokens. They see changes in seasons. They see changes in what they see as climate, and they fear. 
But those very things, Lord, we should see them as well and praise you. And as it says in verse 1, pay our vows and submit ourselves afresh to you. Please speak to our hearts tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Winter solstice, also called the shortest day and the longest night, occurred officially at 4.48 Eastern Standard Time today. At that moment, the Earth's axis was tilted the farthest away from the sun. That's why in ancient days, the pagans, it was a time of dread. It was a time of uncertainty, fearing that the sun, being so far away, may not reappear. So they created Yule, Y-U-L-E. Yule was created by the Norse and the Scandinavian people to celebrate the moment when the sun did reappear, when it was, quote, rebirthed, which would be tomorrow morning. In ancient times, there was fear, bloodshed, human sacrifice to mark the shortest day of the year, which, of course, is the exact opposite of what God's creation and the changes of the creation, the Lord's token, are meant to do. Verse 8, They also that dwell in the uttermost parts are afraid at thy tokens. Thou makest the outgoings of the morning and evening to rejoice, not be afraid. Now think about this. You made the outgoings of the morning and evening that get shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter as the day closes, comes to this day. And people in the old days, were, in ancient days, in some places in the world today, were afraid about all of this. The dawn, the sunset, the morning, the evening. It is a token, obviously, beloved, of a period of time, and specifically what we know as a day. We know it that way because the Bible says in the book of Genesis, the evening and the morning were the first day. And you know, by extension, the same thing often refers to a life, the sunset of life, beyond the sunset, all of these expressions we use. And then it's also a reminder sometimes of an entire year. Rosh Hashanah begins at sunset at the head of the year, and so it goes. So that again, this reference, folks, of a sunrise and a sunset is a reminder of a token by God of a period of time, but it's also a reminder of something else, something wonderful. Something critical, something very powerful in the Christian life. After all, what it says in the book of Genesis is that from the rising of the sun unto the setting of the same, what does it say? You put an X on your calendar? Does it say on that day in the calendar that you uh, change your status on Facebook or you update your status or you count your calories on that day? From the rising of the sun until it sets, you calculate your wages, your taxes, the index, your interest is calculated, all the money is counted. I suppose that from that every financial institution from Wall Street to Guam, its opening bell and its closing bell is what signifies a day to them and to the world. But in the case of that scripture, you'll notice it says from the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. It it marks a praise. Did you notice the last word of verse eight is the word rejoice? Look at it. Notice the last word of the chapter is the word sing. Notice the first word of the chapter is the word praise. Beloved, 
couldn't be any clearer that this is a reminder for all of us that people fear what we're supposed to celebrate. That it's, that it's a signification of something that is glorious. And also a reminder that this day, the sunset and the sunrise, that they're a reminder of something far more significant. Something about a day, something about a year, something about a season, which today begins a brand new one and ends another one. It's not just mere numbers on a calendar. It's not just a little date, like on my calendar on my desk says, first day of, of winter. Christians don't fear the tokens of creation. Pastor, are you afraid of climate change? No. No. Are you afraid of an asteroid? Are you afraid that, you know, when there's an eclipse that, oh, no. I don't care what astronomical thing happens. When they put it on Drudge Report, it's, blood moon, you're supposed to be afraid. No, Christians rejoice and sing and give praise to God. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul did and taught and said to another group of pagans in the uttermost parts of the earth. Go, go look at Acts chapter 14, would you? And let's read it. These are people who dwelt again in the uttermost parts of the earth. Paul came to them, if you will. Let's read some of it, shall we? Look at verse 15. And saying, sirs, this is Paul talking, sirs, you people, why do ye these things? Okay, why are you doing these things, Paul says. I mean, you say that to people. Right? Why are you doing this? I say it right now to our whole country. Why are you doing these things? Well, what things? The things that they tried to do in verse 13. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. In other words, they thought that Paul was the god Mercury. They thought that Barnabas was the god Jupiter. Because who else could perform this healing? This which was an act of God, the Creator. Who else could do it? So they're about to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. Look at it again, verse 13. Then the priests of Jupiter. That's not me, the way. I'm the priest of Jupiter Farms. I used to be the priest of Jupiter, but I move west. Then the priests of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. This pagan priest wants to idolize two men of God and sacrifice to them because of something they saw happen, right? And this is what Paul says, verse 14. Which when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of, they rent their clothes. That was a, that was a custom in the day when you were in mourning or woe or shock and ran in among the people crying out, and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men with like passions with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities, empty foolish things, here it is now, follow this, unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. Notice what Paul says. Look around you. You pagans, you heathens that want to sacrifice idols for us and put garlands around our necks. Look at the seas and the heaven and the earth and all things that are therein, Paul says, and understand, we didn't create this. 
Don't sacrifice to us. We didn't make this. We're men, he says, just like you. So turn from these vanities. Turn to the true God, and that's not all. Because the living God who did create all of this, and this goes back to Psalm 65, he has a message. Verse 16. Who in time past suffered, allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness. In that, here it is, he did good and gave us rain from heaven. That soft rain we just read about. And fruitful seasons, the seasons we just read about. Filling our hearts with food and gladness. Now look up for a minute. That little line that God has given us, quote, fruitful seasons. I've preached on that before. You know, that's a powerful point in Paul's sermon to these people. And I'll tell you why. You may recall that it was right after the flood in Genesis chapter 8 that God, the Creator, made a promise to the people of the earth. It was a promise about seasons. He said in Genesis 8.22, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Now that's God's promise. That's why I'm not afraid of the earth ending with an asteroid. Or climate change. Because that is God's promise. While the earth remaineth. And I already know, you know, if you read Peter and the rest of the Bible, how the earth is going to be destroyed. And it's with real fire. So when God established the seasons, which He did after the flood, He established them in earnest. He did so, He says, as a testimony. They are a witness. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes that to everything there is a season. A time to every purpose under heaven. The seasons... Now, today's the first day of winter. I don't know if it occurred to you to think that, oh, there's a reason why the axis is turned this way. The seasons are a witness. And for the Gentiles 2,000 years ago, who gathered together at Lystra, and for all of us who are assembling here tonight, this witness is a very powerful thing indeed. Now again, for the lost, days like today, an eclipse, any kind of token of God's creation, that's an ominous thing. Fearful. Something even to worship, lest it gets angry. And the sun does go away forever. Pagans were afraid of God's tokens. And Paul says to these Gentile idolaters, why are you trying to worship us who are men? Don't you see the seasons? Don't you see creation? And therefore, in seeing them, don't you see blessings and then realize there's something bigger than you? There's something bigger than all of us. Don't you see that God has given us a witness of Himself in these very seasons? You know, if you think about it, some people look at the stars... And when they see the stars, they see the glory of God. Because that's what the heavens declare. The heavens declare the glory of God. Some people, other people, see the very same stars. And they see plasma and helium and hydrogen. They will spend their entire lives studying those stars, and all they will see is plasma and hydrogen. Some people see a little baby, and they hold that little one. And you know what they see? They see the handiwork of God. Other people will hold a baby. And all they see is a developing mammal vertebrate. Uh, can I ask you a question? 
Which of those two do you suppose will be pro-life? Will understand the value of life? So Paul says, listen, sirs, you people who want to worship me and men and elevate people up to a place of deity, just look around you. He says, the true creator has left a witness in the very creation of these fruitful seasons. Pastor, why is that a witness? Well, think about it. Look at verse 17. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good. He gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Can I ask you a question? How do you fill somebody's heart with food? That's what it says. I mean, anybody can fill up somebody's stomach with food. That's obvious. But the Bible says that God can fill a person's heart both with gladness and with food. How? Well, if you were to take, I saw a rib roast yesterday at Publix, one of the big fat things. If you were to take a rib roast and give it to a hyena, he will gulp that thing down and fill up his stomach and run away without a word of gratitude. Hogs will look down and eat food and never once look up to where it came from. Feed that same meal plate to a hungry child of God, and it will fill his stomach and his heart. That's what it's referring to, his stomach and his heart. One is a beast. The other one is created in the image of God and has been reconciled to God. But Pastor, I know humans who gulp their food only to fill their stomachs. Well, no doubt. I, I got Ben McDonald's yesterday, and on the holiday bag, have you seen what it says in the holiday bag? It's a contest. It says, win McDonald's for a life. Might as well say, win a heart attack for life. Or whatever. Can you imagine? What'd you win? McDonald's for life. Now, some people think, oh, yeah. Those who do not acknowledge that God is good do not fill their hearts with food. You know, if you think for a minute about the variety and the blessing God set in place when he gave us seasons, that little phrase there, fruitful seasons, I remember when the carousel of progress was opened at Epcot and oh, Magic Kingdom, I think. Yeah, Magic Kingdom. It actually opened up on my, my uh, 17th birthday, January the 15th, 1975. And I was a junior up here at Martin County High School. And, and I remember the very first time I got there to that thing. Now people think it's corny. You know, I think I had to drag my grandkids on it. I don't remember. <laughs> but I remember going on that thing and, and looking at that. It's not just a journey through time, if you remember. But as it goes, it's really a journey through the seasons. At least it was for me. In the spring, there's this little scene. You want me to sing the song? No, I won't, because they've changed it. This is the time. No, I'm not going to sing it. In the spring, there's flowers on the table. And, and on the stage, you can look through the window, and you see these birds singing, right, on this tree branch with brand new buds. And there's a reference to the recent Valentines, and Uncle Orville's there with Rover and all that. 
and then you move and it switches to summertime and you see a fourth of july flag and this homemade ice cream maker and a picnic basket over here and then you move and then it's fall and all the flowers are replaced with pumpkins and the trees through the window are covered with these beautiful autumn leaves it's beautiful i mean they're very talented there and finally it turns again and it's winter you got this big living room. There's lots of Christmas decorations and baked cookies and turkey. And they're all wearing sweaters, just like you're going to be doing this Sunday because I prayed for cold weather. <laughs> all these seasons that you get to sit and go through in about 20 minutes. And I know, I can tell you, as a teenager who was a believer, it always reminded me of the so many good things in life. The Scripture here says in verse 17, He did good. That God did good by giving us seasons, and not just seasons, but fruitful ones. And it is true, all of the variety, all of the abundance that we enjoy each and every season is a witness, it's a testimony to the goodness of God and the blessings that come from. Every good and perfect comes from above. When I was a welder in Chicago in the 1970s, there was an unsaved co-worker of mine who worked on our, our rig, and he was a big, big, huge fan of baseball, Major League Baseball. Keith Lockwood was his name, and I'll never forget how excited he was about three specific times of the year. Opening day, Major League Baseball in the spring, and then the All-Star Game in baseball in the summertime, and then, of course, the World Series in the fall. And, you know, he was so excited. He was still, at that time, he was single. And on each of those three occasions, he would take a personal day. And leading up to each of those, that's all he talked about. I can't wait. In three weeks, it's going to be the All-Star game. And in four weeks, it's going to be the World. And he would just talk about it and talk about it and have these countdowns of enthusiasm. And it always, always impressed me. One day, after months and months of people's prayer and witnessing to him, Keith came to Christ. And this is a guy he smoked, he carried weed with him everywhere at work. And he came to the Lord, and for a long time, uh, he attended another Terry Angel's church, another former co-worker there, his church. But what struck me back then at the time was after Keith got saved, he still loved the seasons. He still loved those baseball moments. He still looked forward to them and life and the variety of blessings from God. But I noticed it was different. I noticed that he, he now loved the one who made the seasons. There was a total different outlook on all of it. And I got to thinking, it just seems to me as if people who recognize the good things in life, the goodness of God, are those who ultimately experience the grace of God. One thing I can tell you for sure. God has left us with a witness God did good. They filled our hearts with food and gladness, and He gave us these seasons. Are you recognizing that? They are fruitful times. And of course, you know, in order for us to have these physical seasons, the earth needed to rotate. And it needed to rotate at a slight angle. The oldest book in the Bible, as you know, the book of Job, thousands of years written before Columbus sailed. Job said that the earth is a circle, the Hebrew word is like a sphere, that hangs upon nothing. 
out in space. And we're suspended, but instead of spinning this way, by God's design, it's tilted and spins this way. Just a little, 23.5 degrees this way. You know, when people see summer to come and seasons, they always assume that the seasons are caused by the earth being closest to the sun during its revolution, you know, around the sun. But winter, interestingly, in the northern hemisphere actually occurs when the earth is closest to the sun so that it's, it's this tilt, that this amazing, perfect tilt of the axis of the earth that points the hemisphere towards sunlight during this part of its revolution around the sun. And it's by design. God tells us it's by design. And all that means is that all of these angles and these rotations and these revolutions during these rotations had to be precise and predictable. The reason why we know that at 1051, they even go down to the second, 1051 a.m., June the 21st, 2023, is the first day of summer this coming year, and they've known it for ages and ages and ages, is that all of it's very precise. Genesis 1.14 says, Let the lights and the firmament be for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. Paul says, sirs, look around. You have a sign in God's creation. You have a witness from God. How much more should we see that witness from God? Why would you look down and bow before men when you can look up and bow before the living God, he says. So yeah, it's the beauty, the blessing. That's part of the witness, but that's not all. There's also a message about time. I think about this more than I ever have, for obvious reasons. Look at verse 16. It says, Who in times past suffered allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good. Now, Paul is speaking here of time past. You see those words? Times past. It's a reminder to him and to the Gentiles of what every season says over and over and over again. God, in this case, is waiting and God is patient. God is long-suffering. And it is in his patience and long-suffering that verse 16 says, He suffered, He allowed nations to walk not in God's ways, but their own ways. And again, during all that time of waiting, God was witnessing to them. Through all of His creation, through every season, God was doing good. And filling people's hearts with food and with gladness. People talk about the happy Christmas and joyful season. It's the best season. They write songs about it. Yes. But instead of making it, causing them to look up, they just look in and they just go to alcohol. I saw all these people walking out of the liquor store uh, last night. Just getting ready for their Christmas cheer. And now with the coming and going of every season... The message of God is still the same. God is good, but time is short. You know, that text I read earlier, or quoted earlier about seasons that God gave to Noah. Don't ever miss this. Have you ever pondered the first word of that very familiar promise? Here's what God said. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. 
That's the promise. That's why I don't believe the earth's going to end with any kind of cataclysmic event until God says so, and it's described already in the Bible. That's the promise. But let me remind you how that promise begins. It begins with a word. Does anybody know the word? Anybody remember? The word is while. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat. It's a reminder, it was a reminder to Noah and to the people of Lystra and to all of us in this room tonight and if you're watching wherever you are that God has in store while this earth remains, a new earth, a new heaven, a new creation. So the beloved, just as surely as the truth that God is patient and that time is short, it's also a reminder that you and I are coming into something while every new season is a reminder that God's people are going somewhere we are going to something and that coming and going to something requires faith and patience look at verse 19 and there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Laconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul drew him out of the city supposing he had been dead you know it's interesting right a few minutes ago I mean for those of you in this room who are hoping that, mm, that our Congress is going to do something right because other people are there for now or that our government's going to make some choices that are going to be beneficial or they're going to be wise or that the world is going to wise up or anything. If you have any hope in man at all, just remember that a few moments ago, Paul was a god worthy of worship. They were going to sacrifice animals to them. And now he's to be stuck. The same people. Minutes later, let's stone him to death. God, no, devil. It's better to trust the Lord than put your confidence in men. Verse 20, Howbeit as the disciples stood round about him, he, Paul, rose up. He'd just been stoned to death. Verse 21, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra, Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. You see, beloved, we are coming to something. God's people, I hope you recognize that when the seasons come and go, it is a reminder, it's a token of God to remind us that there's coming a day. And we're to continue in the faith, as it says in verse 22, that through much tribulation we enter into the kingdom of God. So there's this glory, there's this beauty, there's this lesson about patience and long-suffering. But there's also another lesson. And it's a lesson about being busy for God. God's people aren't called to, oh, you know, the season drives me time short, I'm old now, I'm going to be 65 next month. Me, 65, I know, it's hard, it's a shocker. Oh, you know, uh, no. We're to be busy. You know, Genesis says seed time and harvest. Well, who plants the seed? Who's the one who gathers the harvest? This was God's Word telling us these glorious seasons I'm giving you are seasons of seed time and harvest. What is He saying? Time of being busy. If you're going to have fruitful seasons, that's not going to happen without labor. And this is by God's design. So that, listen to me. I'm almost done. The seasons are a witness that life is good. Life is good. 
Don't just get caught up in the world's idea of Christmas, the season. Oh, it's happy. It's, you know, life is good. That's what we really, really should be a reminder of. But also that life is tough. The winter season is tough for some people. And the summer season for other people. Life is tough. It's, it's a time of labor. And yes, life is short. It's brief. So however tough it is, it's but for a moment. And for the believer, all of it has a purpose. Look at verse 26. He says, Thence we sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. They went back to their sending church to give a report. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done. Purpose? You know what? Sea time and harvest, day and night, seasons, they're all a reminder, you know, that gathering the church together, as we just read here, they gathered the church together. That's all a part of God's work. Assembling in this place tonight is a part of God's work. It really is. It is the work of God in the world today. We plant seeds in His field by giving, by witnessing, praying, assembling, praising God, teaching, singing, fellowshipping, by being steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Is your heart filled, your heart filled with food and gladness? Do you see the witness of God that He did good by giving us fruitful seasons? How about this? Every summer, how many of you in this room, summer is your favorite season? Raise your hands. I know a couple of you. It's your favorite. All right, well, that's awesome. How many of you, winter is your favorite season? Weirdos. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wes. Snow skiing. I mean, all of it's beautiful. So how about this? Every summer, amidst the vacations with your family and the abundance of watermelon and picnics and patriotism and reflection, and every fall, with his pumpkin spice and colors and harvest and thanksgiving, and every winter with its holidays and music and Christmas and joy, and every spring with its flowers and the newness and resurrection hope, how about seeing the goodness of God? Not just goodness, but the goodness of God. And how about hearing the witness of God in the wonder of His creation? Because the longer somebody goes without recognizing God in all of these goodness, the harder his heart becomes. The colder he becomes. The more detached he becomes from the one who made all of it. So that in the midst of all of this wonder and this joy and this season and this goodness that the world fears... We love Him, the Creator. We serve Him, trust Him, thank Him, follow Him. And we live, therefore, unashamed of Him until the day when the seasons turn to eternal day. You know, the great preacher Charles Jefferson wrote these words in 1885. When we begin to stagger under life's routine and monotony, God sets the western sky on fire to make the soul cheerful again. 
One token? One sunset to cheer the soul? Yes, if you know and you love the one who made it. Of course, sunrise, if you know and love the one who painted it in the sky in his glorious wisdom. And when you know him, you understand its message. And the message is, God is good, and all the time, God's people said, amen. Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, I pray you'll help us not get caught up in the vanities, the empty folly of just seasons of joy and the seasons of gladness, not understanding what it, why it is and who gave it to us. That it has nothing to do with merchandise and the silly things of this world. Everything to do with you. Lord, remind us that the goodness, your goodness, leads us to repentance. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And you are good all the time. And we praise you for it. We thank you for this season. We thank you for this day that begins a whole nother season. But it does so in your wisdom, in your power, in your grace. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.